I'll tell you something I love about being in France, in addition to some seriously delicious butter, and that is the wide selection of wines I can find in France for low prices. It can be much more difficult to source those same bottles back in the States, and that's why I love to buy wines out of France with Ideal Wine. I have bottles shipped to me, hassle-free. It's easy. Ideal Wine has a new auction every week and is a great source for iconic names like Ouette, Louis Roeder, and Domaine Lefleve, as well as rising stars like Arnaud Lachaud, Gonon, and Tissot. Find the wines you'd rather be drinking at idealwine.com. That's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com and have the wine shipped to you in the States. Use the promo code FIRST, F-I-R-S-T, for $15 off your first order of $150 or more. Hey, that's $15 you could save, and that is some good butter money. See for yourself at Ideal Wine. I'll drink to that, where we get behind the scenes of the beverage business. I'm Levy Dalton. I'm Erin Scala. And here's our show today. Chemistry views state changes through the scientific method, rather than through morally charged interpretations. While at Alchemy's center was the idea that ennoble and basic materials could transform into better states, lead into gold, spices and fruits into spirits that could heal. The ability to transform corrupted, imperfect materials into unflawed and perfect materials often had double meanings and alluded that people could also go from imperfect states to states of enlightenment and even immortality. Alchemy finds its roots in Egyptian metallurgy and throughout history has had its ups and downs in the public eye. In the early 100s, alchemist ideas coexisted with several religious ideologies. But by the 1200s, early writers of literature, Dante and Chaucer, depicted alchemists as thieves and liars. But by the 1600s, a few founders of modern science, including Boyle and Isaac Newton, were heavily interested in alchemy. Alchemy was slightly interwoven with religion, and several alchemists of this period believed that certain concoctions could facilitate communication with angels. And during the Renaissance, many rich patrons employed alchemists for chemicals, medicines, and mining operations. One goal of alchemy was to find an elixir that could yield eternal life or immortality. And several recipes for alcohol-based medicines still survive today. Making brandy and steeping spices and fruits in it, sometimes being redistilled, made all sorts of flavored spirits that were meant to alleviate this or that ailment. Distillation was seen as a means of purification, of turning an imperfect item that was bound to decay into a stable, potentially immortal substance of pure quality. By consuming the purer forms of spices, fruits, and vegetables, an entire medicinal framework arose around these alchemy elixirs. In the mid-1900s, H.J. Shepard wrote, Alchemy is the art of liberating parts of the cosmos from temporal existence and achieving perfection, which for metals is gold, and for man, longevity, then immortality, and finally, redemption. Material perfection was sought through the action of a preparation, a philosopher's stone for metals, 
and the elixir of life for humans. While spiritual ennoblement resulted from some form of inner revelation or other enlightenment, Today, the distillation of spirits is a much more scientific and secular business. The chemistry of alcohol and distillation is well understood, and the drinking of spirits is a highly secular activity that revolves around entertainment and social life more than medicine and spirituality. However, sometimes, when you try some of the world's finest spirits, you wonder about the possibilities of an elixir that can lead you toward a higher state of being. It's not enough to make great wine. You also have to reach the consumer that appreciates that wine. And that's where Offset is an incredible asset. Offset is an independent brand design and commerce technology company that connects with wineries on a human level to help them connect with consumers on a human level. Offset is based in wine country and staffed by creative strategists and technologists who are superb at helping create and evolve wine brands through visual identity and package design, developing the look, feel, and tone of your web content, as well as building beautiful and effective websites powered by their proprietary e-commerce platform, Offset Commerce. That's why leaders like Frog Sleep, Grace Family Vineyards, and Rain Winery already rely on Offset. Reach out to the brilliant team at Offset at OffsetPartners.com. That's O-F-F-S-E-T partners with an s.com offset is focused on the wine industry and can embrace the nuanced needs of your wine brand hans reisebauer on the show from oxbury in austria hello how are you Fine, thanks. Nice to have you here. Thank you that I come here. So you're in Upper Austria. What's that region like? Upper Austria is a typical agricultural uh, region and with no wine, but we have a lot of places for good fruits. So it's really not a wine region? No, not a wine region. Now two or three people start to making wine, but uh, the world don't need this wine. So you are obliged to do something else? Yes. Even though you like wine a lot. I like wine really a lot, yes. How did your estate come together? How did it happen? Uh, in 1994, yes, I, I meet a friend. It was named Karl Hubergasser in Vienna, and he told me in one and a half hour, what is quality by Odevis? Oh, yeah? Yes. He just he talked to you about Odevis. Yes, we talk about Odevis. He was one of the best distiller. Uh, for me in Austria, he died, I think, five years ago. And he was amazing. It was a small distillery. He was working for another company, but uh, his heart was uh, in distilling all the things. And yes, he inspired me. And how did you meet him? There was a fair. It's, it's the first thing like the Vienum. It's called, uh, it was a Vienna fair, and I was there because I, I want to see something about wine. And I met him, and yes, uh, on, a, on a place for, there were five distillers there. And he was the guy who came to me, and he 
showed me what is perfect to the be. And this was for me the start that I say, now I will start distilling. It must have been a persuasive conversation. Yes, uh, it was a great conversation. And uh, I go home to my wife and I say, we start distilling. And she said, uh, you are crazy. Uh, but yes, this was our start. So it wasn't something that your dad did? My, my father makes normal agricultural uh, wheat, barley, barley, oats, uh, sugar beets, a little bit uh, soya beans. And uh, we sell it on the normal market. And uh, it was not my life because uh, quality for wheat, it was, there was no quality. The people uh, buy the wheat, but uh, you don't know, is it for bread or, or feed them, they feed the, the box. It, it was a completely different time to now. So he owned a, a farm, but it was planted to grains. Basically. Yes, grains. Yes, wheat, barley, and, and sugar beets also. Yeah. So what did he think about your idea to get into distilling? Uh, the first, the first thing he said is not a good idea. Now he, yes, he's my father, and uh, he's the brain now. <laughs> but uh, now <clears throat> he's very happy that I have made the step. But originally, you had to kind of convince him that it was a good idea. Uh, first, it was not a good idea. Also, not a good idea for for my wife. For my my mother was uh, the only. She said, "Yes, you have to do it. If you want to do it, you have to do it." Being a distiller in Austria, what's that like? How do you go about distilling? If you're in Austria, the typical is for us is distilling, and I think uh, every <clears throat> small farmer is distilling twenty to forty liters a year. It's called Hausbrand. It's allowed to distill this without tax, only for using in it uh, uh, in in your farm to drink it. And it's a long traditional thing, but there, as the quality changed from the middle of the nineties to now, completely. Oh, really? Yes. Maybe because of people like Gasser. Or? Yes, Gasser. Gasser was the first. Also, Colles was one one of the first producer. And yes, we we come. To this producers in 1994 we started and my first ODV was Per Williams and we won the first championship in the January uh, 1995 so yes Per Williams is the most uh, selling product in Austria. So I imagine if there's a long tradition of making it there's probably a long tradition of, of buying it there's a market for ODV in, in Austria. Yes. I think uh, Austria and then the southern part of Germany, also Switzerland with with the cherry, they call it cherry water, and uh, the northern part of France, also in Alsace. These are the typical regions for for fruit brandies or ODVs. In Italy, they sell Grappa, and uh, they don't uh, only one producer now, Capo Villa is making uh, ODVs, but there is the traditional Grappa, and in Austria it was fruit brandies. I but see. only from plum and apples and a little bit apricot. That's was the start. So you decided you wanted to distill, and what's the first process of that? I mean, how do you get fruit, for instance? Uh, we have planted years before apple trees, my wife and I, and ten trees with Per Williams. So this was the start. We started with one hundred liters uh, the first year, and then uh, we have. The next year we have to buy more, so we try to find good fruit dealers and distribution for fruits. And 
after three, four years, I saw all the producers buy from the same places. So uh, we changed completely and planted now 25 or 24,000 trees now. And we produce 75% uh, of all the fruits, yes. We produce nine kinds of fruit uh, with 42 varieties. So you already had planted apples before you decided to get distilling. Yes, we plant apple for the fresh market, but not one variety or two. We, we planted 11 varieties, and this was also not easy for the fresh market because uh, the people want to have one big player and not uh, small uh, quantities. And yes, we, we decided for this because we want to eat the best And we thought if we can eat the best, also our clients should do this. Now we sell nothing uh, for the fresh market. We make our productions. But you found when you were in the market for fruit that a lot of it was coming from the same farms that the different distillers were buying from. Yes. And there are some places in now in Italy, in the near of Modena, the most by there, the Per Williams. And there are some uh, big players for cherries and uh, yes, they, they buy from these places. Yeah. So if I were an Austrian distiller, I might actually be buying Italian fruit. Yes. So uh, it's not it's not a legal requirement that No no fruit. it's 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 normal. It's it's legal. Also they buy some uh, pears from uh, the southern part of France. Yes in in Austria there are not so much pear Williams. I think we are one of the biggest grower for, for these pears and we don't sell any fruits to other distillers. And because we need it for our own production. And yes, that's it. And you find that the quality of the fruit can vary a lot depending on where you buy it from or whether you grow it yourself. Uh, I think it's the, the most thing is it depends for the harvest. I think also in other places they are grow really good fruits. But we harvest them one day before uh, we start the fermentation. So we can choose the ripeness on the perfect, uh, I don't can say the perfect hour, but the perfect day. So this is the most thing. And also we find for our soil the right roots to grow the perfect balance for, for the fruit. So is the ripeness of a fruit that you would use for distilling the same as a ripeness if you were to sell it to a market for eating? No, completely different. If you sell uh, apricots now, You, you pick them 14 days before they arrive, and if you taste them, you cannot really taste the fine apricot aroma. If you want to have a perfect apricot aroma, you have to taste it one or two days before they arrive. And so we harvest them uh, one or two days before they are completely ripe, and, but we have no time. We have to do it immediately, the fermentation, and pick out the fruit, uh, the uh, pits, But you have to find some farmers who make the work for you. And that's not easy. So it's key to distill it quickly after you pick it. Yes. It, the, we have uh, our fermentation time is seven and a half day, the average in the year. So we have to do it for raspberry only five, four to five days, for Per William seven days. And you have to do it very quickly. Uh, otherwise, you get an oxidation. So for me, we want to find the cleanest and freshest part of the fruit. And I think if you have a perfect pear Williams, you can smell the skin, you can smell the fully ripeness pear. 
And I think uh, ODV don't need oxidation. So the type of fermentation, or at least the length of it, depends on the fruit. It could vary. Some are longer, some are shorter fermentations. Yes, it depends from the sugar. So uh, raspberry has uh, only a small quantity of sugar inside, so it is uh, faster fermented than an apple. Apple has a lot of sugar, so you need uh, five days longer. Uh, a plum has, I think, in the moment, the most sugar inside, plum and, and the, the black cherry. And we take 12 days for fermentation because we control the temperature. We have between 17 to 20 degrees Celsius for the fermentation temperature. And if we go warmer, it goes faster, but we lose the fine aroma. So we make the fermentation a little bit cooler. And the fermentation takes a little bit of time because of the low alcohol. Of the low alcohol, yes. Uh, we, We must be complete, fermented, and then we can distill. So on the, we, if we, we go ready on Sunday and distill on Monday, six o'clock in the morning. So did you find parallels in wine fermentation? Did you learn through the process of learning about wine fermentation, how to apply that to fruit fermentations, or are they totally different? No, I, I think it's different, but I learned a lot of the really good wineries in Austria. Because uh, the thing we do in our company is completely different with the tanks to other distillers. Uh, we have stainless steel tanks, we have it, we can cool them, we can heat them, we have, and we see this all by, by wineries. I've never seen a completely distillery now. Uh, I know my distillery and that's it. But you designed your own distillery. Yes, I designed my own distillery, also my fermentation tanks, my pumps, and, uh, but I, I saw a lot of from uh, Austrian wineries. What were the principles that you used to, to design your own distilling? What did you think about when you made those plans? Uh, the, the idea is uh, the most distilleries are, are built for, for quantity, that the people can fast distill a, a lot of quantity so that it keeps it cheap for, for, for the mechanics. My idea to design our distillery was only for the quality. And we have two years ago planted a new one, built a new one, and we, we decided that we uh, need more money for the quality than for the quantity. And that's the idea in all our doing is the quality. So when you distill, what do you do? Do you use all of it or do you use parts of it? Or uh, We distill two times. And the first time, it's, it's called the first run, uh, we use all of it. And the second time, uh, we distill the, the first time, the second time, uh, we cut the head, the heart, and the tail. And this is the, the part where you make your quality, your perfect quality. And we, we cut uh, 3 to 4% for the head and 25 28 for the tail so it matters where you make the cut yes and you can uh, make the quality you cut them with with the nose and taste and that's it and you have to do it we, we cut the head in the morning every day between 7 30 and 8 30 in the morning so you 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 have to taste in the morning the first ODVs. and uh, you cut the tail is between two and four o'clock it depends is it full or not so full? Has it more sugar or not? What are the different fruits all told that you distill? 
We are distilling now 20 different fruits. And uh, we started in June uh, to harvest the strawberries. It's the first. Then uh, we get the cherries, the sour cherries. And at last we have the apples and the quince. Quince is only for the European market. And so I, I think we have 24 different kinds of fruits. And what is the easiest to distill of those fruits? The raspberry is the easiest. The is that true? Yes, the raspberry is the hardest to get the perfect raspberry. But if you do a perfect fermentation, then it's easy. It's fast and easy because it's less sugar inside. And you smell the cut between the head and the tail so easy. It's easier. It's harder. It's Per Williams is the hardest thing to distill because uh, to find the the cut between the head and the heart and the heart and the tail, it, this is not so easy. When you grow fruit, is that different than growing grapes? I mean, uh, do they react differently to weather or? Yeah, we have learned a lot also from the wineries. We make also now a green harvest uh, by Per Williams in, in June, not last year because we have to lessen the trees, but in a normal year, we harvest in the June 10 to 15 percent. And this we learned from the wineries and also playing with the leaves so that uh, the wind comes through the trees and so on. And but if the if we have a hard rain since 2014, the fruit uh, don't uh, get then like botrytis, the, the fruit don't get it. Uh, but uh, we have less sugar inside. This is our problem. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see. So if there's a lot of rain, you have trouble getting ripeness. Yes. But you this, don't have to worry about noble rot or uh, rot. Yes. This is the reason. We, we we have this year 14 days later for the perfect ripeness. And then it gets colder. You get less sugar. This was very hot this year. And we need, by Per Williams, the normally we need 12 kilos for one liter and 12 to 12.2 kilos. And this year we need 14 and a half kilos. So we need 20% more fruits for one liter ODV. And there's a lot of costs and um, more work. But, uh, that's it. Uh, 2014, it was a hard year, but the qualities are really great. And one of the things you do is you actually vintage label the bottles. Yes, but we label the bottles in uh, Europe. Uh, with, with the vintage in uh, US, it's not allowed for white ODVs to label the bottles with the vintage. But it's all it's all one harvest. It's only one harvest. We have only had one cuvee. It was uh, 2003, 2004. You know this vintage also from wine in Austria. It was a very warm year, and 2004 was a, a very cool year. And in four, we had the acid. In three, we had the sugar. And uh, so we have we store all our ODVs two to three years. So we make a cuvee from 2003 and 2004. We put it on the label and we say all this to our clients. And uh, for me, it was the best idea to do it. And how do they hold up? They don't really change in the bottle or they change in the bottle? Or? Now, if we go to the bottle now, uh, it uh, change uh, if it's closed only a little. It's the same by, uh, nearly the same by wine. We are using the Stelvin. And, but if it, if you open the bottle, it changes a little bit. Um, we have some products that get finer, eleganter, 
not elegant, but it goes a little bit finer. We have some products, they get more and more for Per Williams. If you open it with the air, it gets more. And we have one or two uh, products, you, you have to drink it in one year, one, one and a half year. So for a respirator, it's better to drink it in one or one and a half year because you have so a lot of fresh flavors inside and you lose a little bit the freshness in the nose, not in the mouth, but in the nose. What about something like ginger that you make? What's that like to make? Ginger was an idea from a restaurant, from a chef in Vienna. And uh, he came to me and said, I have to make ginger. And I said, it's, it's a, first, it's a hard work. You are the only guy to want ginger. And he said, I want to have 350 bottles. And I said, if you buy 350 bottles, then I start with ginger. So, and now I cannot stop it. <laughs> <laughs> is it easy to work with ginger? No, it's very hard because uh, ginger is so intense that uh, after distilling, we have to wash the distillery with a, a normal alcohol to get out all the oily flavors. The same is by the pumps and so on. It, it's not easy. We do ginger uh, the most time for two years. Oh, so you do it once yeah. every two years? Yes, once every two. In the future, once every three, three and, years. And that's because the cleanup is really annoying. Uh, the cleanup and uh, for the filter, for all our system, it's uh, because uh, 100 milliliter of ginger destroys 1,000 liter per Williams. It's so intense. I see. And so if you mix the two by accident. Uh, oh, yes. If it went through a pump a, or something. Yes. Uh, you, it's, it's not easy. Does ginger have sugar in it already, or how do you ferment it? Uh, we ferment the starch to sugar, and then the sugar to alcohol. Oh, I see. So mm -hmm. it's an even more complex process. Yes, yes more normally. complex process, and we learned this process from the carrots. It's the same. And also, the if you, if you have a vodka from potatoes, this we learned it, we, we see it, how they do it, and then we make it for our own way. Outside of the quality of the fruit, what really determines the quality of a Udavi, of a finished distillate? I think the first 50% is the fruit. 35% uh, is the fermentation. Uh, you must be extremely clean. You must be clear. The temperature must be right. You have to control it uh, five times or four times a day. And uh, the last 15% is, is the man behind the machine and the machine. But uh, 50% is the fruit. If you make, if you have not perfect fruits, you don't get perfect ODV. For you, what is a perfect ODV? I mean, what does that taste like? If you taste now the Williams, if, if you smell it, you smell the green to yellow skin, you smell the fully ripeness pear, and if you drink it, you have the same in the mouth. So uh, no oxidation, fine flavor, Some people say, if they smell my Pear Williams, they say, it's the same, I have the pear for me. I see the pear with my eyes, and that's the idea for Imperfect ODV. Have you found that some vintages have been more successful? Are there certain vintages of certain distillates that you think, oh, that was a great year for... Yes, uh, I think the best year was 1999. For, oh, in general? For, uh, for Williams and also for Raspberry. I know it I'm mostly by this uh, two... Uh, sides, uh, 2008 was the best year for Apricot. Also, 11 is great. And now the vintage 2012 is, by Pierre Williams, is also amazing. It's really amazing vintage. These are, 
bei Williams und bei Resperen Apricot you see it on the most time. Bei Plum uh, you never see really the different vintages. You see it a little bit, but you have to taste really hard that you find the different vintages. In terms of the Austrian market, you said that there's people who buy Uda V there, but you know, I don't often see so much in, in the States that people buy, but yours are well represented and they seem to do well. What were some of the sort of milestones in getting the Uda V sold on a global level? Uh, I, I think it's not easy to sell it on a global level because uh, the, uh, you have a complete other this, uh, uh, tradition to go for it then. In Austria, the tradition is to have not the perfect aperitif than you have here. With the cocktails, we have a, a small beer or a glass of champagne uh, first or, or a glass of muscatella. Then we have the dinner with the different wines. And in Austria, the digestive at last is typical for Austria and also for Switzerland. And here is the digestive is not so typical to drink it every day. And it's it's different, but uh, I think the people drink it more and more, and also before dinner and to go in the bar and drink it a little bit. And also this changes also a little bit in Austria. They have small, uh, really small, uh, one, uh, one uh, two milliliters, only to taste it in a bar and uh, changes also a little bit. But I think it's, it's not for the global market. We cannot sell... Uh, ODVs in the Africa and in the, uh, in the warm places, it's, it's not so easy. So it's it's helpful if the climate's actually somewhat cold to drink. Yes, this. yes, that's really helpful. The, the, the most ODV will drink uh, in the mountain area. I've often looked at you and thought, it's probably helpful that you're a gigantically huge guy, like to taste so many ODV every day, <laughs> yes. you know, without getting kind of, because if I did that, I would get kind of loopy, you know. Yeah, uh, we, yes. we taste every day, but uh, we, we spit every day because otherwise uh, it's, uh, you get drunk every day. So, but uh, we, we also, I also taste a lot of wines uh, the whole year to see how, how the wineries works and uh, also to, to see what we can change, what the wineries will do. And yes, we are learning every day since 20 years. And so you won that award in 95, and did that provide a different reception for what you were doing? Did more people start to pay attention to your work? Yeah, um, we won the, in, in 95, and our first clients uh, was the best Austrian restaurant, the Steirek in Vienna. And one year later, we also uh, won this exhibition in 1996. And yes, if uh, the first journalists come to us and write about this, so the the first uh, restaurants come and uh, yes, and it goes more and more and more. And in 2001, I come to the States only with some bottles. And this is, yeah, this is the way. How did you meet Terry Thies, your importer? Terry Thies was in Austria for um, a wine tasting. And uh, Terry Thies and Mark Hutchinson was sitting in the Wachau region. And oh, they, Mark Hutchinson. Yeah, Mark Hutchinson. And uh, they called me, uh, they have heard from our products, and in the restaurant, this day, they have also had our Pierre Williams and Raspberry. Oh, was at the hotel? Yeah, at the hotel. And they called me if I can come on the Monday from after Eastern in 2000, and uh, if I have time 
to test uh, with these two guys my ODVs. And I said, yes, uh, I will come. And two hours later, I was there, and this was the start with TRTs. And how's that relationship been for you? For the quality, how, how they sell it, it's, it, it's perfect. In the best restaurants, in the best bars, uh, we have a quality product. We, we cannot sell the, the extremely quantities. Our product is also not cheap. And TRTs and the selection is the best way, uh, uh, I think, to sell it. And we are in so a lot of really extremely nice restaurants now here in New York. And uh, as for me, uh, I come here and I can laugh the whole day because I go there and see it. And uh, uh, the people have fun if they see me, if they talk to me about the ODVs. And it's, it's a great time here. And I come here since... Uh, 13 years or 14 years, 14 years, and it's my 28th time in New York, and it's great. Also, you come more than once a year. Two times a year, two times in June and January. And what was the first tasting like for you introducing into the New York market? <laughs> my first tasting was uh, in Tribeca Grill in uh, January 2001, and I was there with my wife, and we have had the traditional Austrian clothes you know, a Dirndl and the Steirer Anzug. And more people want to uh, know where they can buy the clothes and not to can buy the ODVs. People were asking where they can buy the clothes you were wearing. I think if we, yes, this was really crazy for me. And uh, the first client was Frenchy Shot from the uh, stage left. Oh, okay. Uh, in come Jersey. To us, uh, yes, in Jersey. And ordered six bottles with 100 milliliters. And this was our first client. And he go to Koenig, Michael Koenig, and said, he has to import this. And this was the start in in, in New York. And my wife said uh, half a year later, you cannot go there because uh, we only sell uh, 36 bottles. And it, the costs are 10 uh, times more than we earn. And I said, if we don't go to the places and show our products and then we will never say uh, uh, sell a, a bottle more. And now, yes, it, it's a really good market for us. And uh, yes, we are very happy to be here. And you make some other products as well, like you make a fruit wine. Uh, we make a fruit wine. We make an a, a apple wine. Uh, it's uh, with the traditional method. So this seems uh, we make the first fermentation in stainless steel and the second fermentation 18 months in the bottle and like champagne and uh, the dosage is not made with sugar it's made with fresh apple juice and has seven to seven and a half percent alcohol and it's also from our chona gold but uh, it's it's a small production but uh, we love this product and uh, it sells uh, more and more each year here and i think we sell more than 50 percent in the states because mm -hmm. An apple sparkling wine, how would you use that? I mean, in what way would you serve well, it? In, in Austria, we use it as aperitif. Mm -hmm. I think it's perfect for cheese because mm -hmm. you have the acid, you have the low alcohol, and uh, you have the fruitness. And the fruitness to the cheese uh, is, a, is a perfect. And you make a gin. Yes, mm -hmm. we, we make a gin, and uh, this is uh, my, my, I say, my oldest baby. Uh, we, we started. 2003 with the idea from Blue Chain, and in 2006 we started with the Blue Chain. After three uh, three years, we worked three years for the recept, 
Oh, okay. And yeah. you worked three years on a recipe. Uh, a recipe, three years. And uh, in 2006, we started with Blue Chain. In 2008, we bought the first bottles here to New York. And now, yes, uh, Blue Chain is, is in 34 countries now. And uh, Blue Chain is really high-end quality chain. And uh, yes, uh, we won two years ago the championship in Great Britain, in London, uh, the chin uh, championship. And if you won in the motherland of of chin, the championship, that was for me the, the, the best thing we have ever had. And uh, the Heralds in London, the, we were there as spirit as the months. And uh, if an Austrian guy makes a chin and sell it in the best place in London. So this is the story of the blue chain and blue chain is a traditional chain with a lot of junipers, 69%. And the rest uh, we use to get the freshness in the chain. So a traditional but freshness chain, I think perfect for a chin and tonic and a martini. So how did you have the idea to make a gin? I was in in the States and uh, get the perfect gin and tonic in 2002 or three by Audrey Sanders in the Pego Club. Oh, at the Pego Club. Yeah. And I go back and uh, said to my wife, I cannot drink the Austrian gins because this was, I think, Juniper, Junipero. And in Austria, we have had Gordons and uh, Bombay and all these normal gins. We have no intense gin. And uh, after a while, she said, uh, you are always crying. There is no gin. Uh, you can distill, make your own gin. And I said, good, I will start. So the idea comes from my wife. It took a long time to get that cocktail, though. Yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah. It's a long wait time making three-year gin. Yes, three. <laughs> no, because uh, uh, for me, the idea, gin was in this time in Europe an extremely cheap product. And uh, the people don't recognize gin only for a cheap gin and tonic and so on. And for me, the, um, the people know me as a quality fan for my products. So if I come with a gin in 2006, it must be so great this, uh, from the quality that the guys don't discuss it why we do this. Because if you make it normal, the, uh, our customer says, yes, he's making a chain because he's making a lot of money. Because he, he wanted want to, to make money. Uh, want to make money. Uh, we, all, we must all make money. But uh, the idea was to make a really outstanding chain. And in 2006, I was the first in the Europe, uh, not in Germany and Switzerland and not in Austria. And uh, yes, but... Uh, there was no discussion. The people said, this is the new way for gin. And uh, Nobody yeah. thought you were doing it just no. for the money. Yes. People said this is good. Yeah, people said this is good. And uh, you see now what is running with gin. A lot of producers now uh, making gin. And you can decide what is the best one. And I think blue gin is really a, a very nice product. When I'm in Europe, sometimes I notice they serve gin and tonics like in wine glasses, like in goblets. Mm-hmm. Yes, we, we save it in uh, uh, wine glasses because I think the perfect gin and tonic is you have the gin, uh, the ice, and, and the tonic. And uh, normal in Austria, you have a long drink glass, you get uh, four centiliters, I think it's two ounces of, of, of gin and the ice, and the tonic stands nearby. So if you fill the glass, 
you have a lot of alcohol because the tonic cannot go in this glass, it's too much. And after refilling, the second or third time, you get for one or two tastes the perfect gin and tonic. And at, at last you have a tonic and no gin. So we decided, we say, uh, please serve the gin and tonic in a Burgundo Bordeaux glass. And you prefer it that way? I prefer it that way, yeah. yeah. What's a good tonic for you? Uh, in the moment, Fever Tree. Fever Tree is a very good tonic. Fentiments has changed a little bit. Uh, it's a little bit uh, more lemon. But uh, there are a lot of new tonics now. Uh, some are too sweet. I think they are too sweet. But uh, Fever Tree has a perfect balance since two or three years. And uh, we work a lot in uh, Austria with Fever Tree. How would you describe the style of your gin? You said there's a lot of juniper. Mm -hmm. What's how is it different than other gins beyond uh, quality? I mean, what's the what taste like? Uh, if you if you taste our gin uh, first, if you smell it, you first smell the juniper. After one minute, or uh, if you if you only smell the the blue gin without without tonic, uh, you smell a little bit citrus. You smell a little bit orange peels and the freshness. The thing is, we have a lot of freshness inside. And uh, if you taste it now, uh, then it's extremely long balanced with juniper, lemon, orange peel, a little bit hopes, and we have white pepper inside. Uh, and it's a little bit, a little bit sharp, only a little bit. And it's extreme smooth and it tastes sweet from the fruits. There's no sugar inside, but you have a little bit uh, also not sweetness, but fruit sweetness. And it's extremely long balanced. So how does it change when you add tonic to gin? What is that? How does that affect the flavor? Um, yeah, you have the tonic, you have the quinine, you have more bitterness. And uh, for uh, by the tonic, you have the CO2 inside. So you, you get the freshness from the CO2 and you have only... 10% alcohol, you can drink it easier. Um, gin and tonic is a typical drink. But uh, a lot of gin and tonics, if you put the tonic inside, you only smell the tonic. And if you do it with blue gin, you smell the perfect juniper and the tonic. And it's, it's, I think it's well balanced. And you started making a slowberry gin. Yes, we, we started last year to make the slowberry gin, and uh, because the slowberry is a really old uh, recipe from, from uh, the British guys, and uh, in Austria they sell all the different companies together on, uh, sell only two thousand bottles, and uh, because I think it's too sweet in the moment, the barkeeper don't want to have so sweet products. So, and the second idea was if we do it perfect. We can make a summer drink also. A slowberry, we harvest biologic slowberries and uh, press them. And we put the juice in a, a high alcohol gin for six weeks. Then uh, we add only six grams sugar to it, not 100, only six grams sugar. And then we bring it down with spring water to 28% alcohol. So you have a perfect freshness, a little bit bitterness, slowberry chain, and you cannot taste the sugar. That's the idea. And uh, you put it in a glass with ice and a tonic, and you have a perfect summer drink. And there's only blueberries, 
a gin and a little bit of sugar and no color from uh, and nothing, only nature. Because a lot of times I've had slow gins that were much darker than yours and much sweeter from other producers. Yeah. The reason is that the slowberries, I think, the color, the most have a lot of color inside because it's so so deep red or blue. And uh, the most are sweeter, yes. And I, I, I don't like so much sugar inside. And you've moved also into doing wine distillates. So in the past you did a lot of fruit distillates and mm -hmm. fruit wine and then gin, but now you're moving into basically brandy. Yeah, uh, this was, uh, I, I started this uh, 2001, only with, with, not only with, with the Austrian producer, it's named Berkeley. And we make the first, we call it Aquavit, in the nearby Grappa. And we do it from Admiral, it's a red wine from him with 80% Blaufränkisch. And by the tastings, they get uh, 95 points and uh, the people love the product, but nobody buys it. Because all the guys who are drinking brandies from, from grapes, they drink Grappa. And in 2005, I uh, do this also with Bernhard Ott, with, with uh, Grüner Wettlina, with the 1,000 Roses. And it was n nearly the same. And then I said, uh, the people, I think the people must know other wineries. And the idea was to show the different regions. So I tried to find a lot of uh, more wine producers from different regions. And uh, now we are making, I think, 10 or 11 different grapes from different uh, places, different varieties, from uh, some winters from France, Germany, Italy, Austria. So it's more like a grappa in that you're using the skins. Yes, it's more like a grappa where we only use the skins. We make the fermentation on the same day, they press it. So also from the Merceau uh, Charme, from Jean-Marc Collot, uh, he pressed it at uh, 12 o'clock on Friday, and we get it at 1 o'clock, go 1,000 kilometers with the car, and make the fermentation on the same day at 10 o'clock at the evening, and uh, distill it uh, five days later, because we make the fermentation from the skins. And uh, we built also a machine now that we uh, put away the stamps after pressing, because the most wineries press now uh, they, uh, they call it, I think, the whole press with, with the stamps, but we have to put away the uh, stamps. And this was hard work, and uh, we only produced from, last year from Tesson, we produced 27 liters. <laughs> so if you had stems in with the skins, it would be a different flavor. Yes, uh, it, I think it, you get too much tannin, because you, you have only the skin and the stamp, and uh, you get too less fruitness. Uh, um, so I think we have to put away the stamps because there's no sugar inside. We don't need it to produce more first. And the second is we don't want to have these flavors. So is that why a grappa might be harsh? Is that maybe they use the stems? Yes. And uh, the second thing is that the fermentation takes, I think, uh, two or four months. And we start the fermentation on the same day. They press it also by Eiswein from Dönhof. It was one of the hardest things because Dönhof don't could us say 
tomorrow we harvest or in three days. He called me five hours before and say, now we have minus eight degrees. We harvest now the ice wine. You have to be there in 10 hours with your boxes and with your, with the trailer. And we, we go there and uh, it was really great. The uh, Oberhauser Brücke. But that almost sounds kind of crazy. Like you're on call. Like you're, you have to wait around and have everything ready to for the moment that you have to go. Yeah, so <laughs> the people say I'm really crazy, and I go for the first time twenty four thousand kilometers. Because that's a different country. That's Germany, and you're in Austria. Yeah, so it's nine hundred kilometers, and uh, the same was to Italy and to France. But uh, we only produce between eighty and one hundred bottles by the different uh, wineries for. Uh, uh, 700 and milliliters and we don't earn money we we don't spend money but we also don't earn money but we show the guys and uh, the, the different soils the different varieties so my idea is German you have to uh, distill in Riesling in Austria it's Grunewaldliner uh, in Burgund it's white and red Burgund and if you distill in Austria also a red wine you only distill a Blaufränkisch, because this is, this is our varieties. And, and this year, uh, Gerhard Kracher also want to do something with us, uh, with his Rosenmuskateller. So we will see. Yeah. I think Rosenmuskateller DBA is also a nice idea. What's it like to do that kind of distillation with red or white grapes? Is that a very different process? Uh, the different process is not the distillation, but the fermentation. By the whites, we do the fermentation. By the reds, uh, the winery do the fermentation because they fermented six weeks, five weeks, eight weeks, I don't know how long. And if they press them, uh, we go there, uh, catch them and distill them on the same day. We have no fermentation because it's ready and we distill them. So those seem like some pretty famous wineries. How did you end up meeting up with Danhoff and Rulo, for instance? Danhoff, I know from here from the United States. Ego Müller, we're also producing uh, Schatzhofberg DBA 2005 and 2010. I know from um, a really fine store in Germany, from the Dahlmeier in Munich. To Rollo, we had a, uh, we make a wine trip. So we go to, for a tasting to Burgund and we go to Rollo and uh, he don't know us and we was not invited. And uh, his sister came out and uh, she, his, uh, she said, Jean-Marc uh, has no time now. And uh, I, gave you, uh, I gave you a bottle of Williams and we go back to our car. And uh, then he comes out and says, why we have a bottle of Reisebauer with us? And I said, I'm Hans Reisebauer, I'm the distiller. And he says, he loves our products. And this was the start with Jean-Marc Rouleau. And uh, yeah, it is a great time now, and I think he's uh, my, my best French friend. Yes. And he was in our distillery two years ago with all his uh, people who work for him, personal work for him. And yes, we, we see us two or three times a year, and I love his wines. Because um, he also does distilling. Yes, he also does distilling. He is distilling this year apricot, and he makes the apricot, apricot liquor. Uh, and he makes it from uh, from uh, pressed apricots and from distilled apricots. And uh, it's really good. 
Uh, he also is uh, distilling uh, raspberries, but not with a fermentation. He is doing it with maceration, and he get this here the raspberries from me. And uh, he is also making uh, pear williams now, and he is changing a little bit because uh, he want also to make really fine products. And Jean-Marie uh, if you distill, uh, discuss with him. He is understanding something in a second where other people need uh, two hours because he, he knows all these things from the wine. And he's a crazy guy because I think in his heart he's more a distiller than a winemaker. Do you see that in the wines? Like, do you see a distiller philosophy in the wines? Yeah, if if you taste his wine, and I have tasted last year that the whole series, it's so clear and so clean and... Uh, it's so focused on his soil. And if you have Luchet or you have Tesson, or you have the Perrier or, or Charme, it's so different in, in the soil. And he's making, I don't know, 40,000 bottles or, or 35,000 bottles. I don't know how much, but he, I think he has 20 different wines because he's focused in the, in the soil and uh, where it is. And uh, yes, he's, he's really great. When you talk about distilling, what is it that you would share with him? I mean, what would you tell another distiller by way of advice? Uh, I, I don't tell anything to a normal other distiller. But Jean-Marc uh, Rollo is, 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 is different for me because I think he, he's more a friend than, uh, and uh, his main production is, is the wine and his hobby is distilling. And if he asks me anything, I, I tell him all what I know. Otherwise, I don't tell anything to other distillers because I've started with nothing and uh, nobody explained it to me. So now we have a lot of good ideas and I think it's better. How did you learn? I mean, through books or? Yes, uh, first I have a lot of luck because I get my the noise and the taste, uh, the nose and the taste. You have uh, a good palate. Yes, from my mother. My mother was, was crazy. My mother was every time cooking for her for all our uh, people who were persons who work in our farm and, and the guys go every day out uh, after lunch and said, Frau uh, Reisebauer uh, is the best uh, <laughs> person who cooks the best thing and she, she is so balanced between the, the nose and the taste. This was the first, this was a lot of luck. And <clears throat> then I read a lot of books and I, I thought that the most was 30 to 40 years old. And I, I, I thought, uh, we have must, must make a revolution. It's not easy, but the, the idea was to make it on a completely clean and clear way. And yes, this, so we started. And you said you felt the 90s were kind of a change period in terms of Oude in Austria. Yeah. Uh, the, in 1993, came the first exhibition. Maybe it's called Destillata. And there were a lot of small distilleries come to go there and uh, have their products there. And uh, I think the first one or two years, it, it was really not high quality. But after the exhibition, it was a completely turning in, in a lot of the brain for, from the people. And a year later, the quality was, I think, more than 100% better. And it's get better and better each year. The problem was uh, that the most forget the market. They produce uh, some nice things and then they could not sell it. Then they stopped 
bestilling or they try to find cheaper ways. And if you try to find a cheaper way, yeah, you cannot do in quality. So uh, after this time, only five or 10 distillers, or now we can say 20 distillers in Austria on the market now, but uh, the most are only uh, on regional, not, not available in uh, completely in, in Austria. And uh, there are I think, only a handful still in Austria who also are selling it to other countries. You mostly make clear white spirits, but you also make some that have been aged in wood. And what are those and what are those like to make? Uh, we make apple in oak. And uh, I think in Austria we have a history uh, with one sweet thing. This is a apple strudel with a vanilla sauce. Sure, so pretty tasty. If yes. <laughs> so I thought uh, uh, the the normal uh, thing is to the apple is in the normal way extremely fine and delicate, but the most people go to a pear before they buy an apple. And I I thought um, the vanilla come from the oak, so we start to age it in oak, and we do it since 1996. And now we have on the market, I think the 2006 or 2007, it's aged seven years in oak. And you find the, I think it's now the balance between the vanilla from the cask and also a little bit, uh, it tastes a little bit like cinnamon. Mm -hmm. uh, and the apple, it's, it goes perfect. And this is one of the things we, we do in oak. Uh, last year we have started with a completely new thing, orange. In oak, we distilled the first orange, uh, but we have to wait now. Uh, it's two years ago. And uh, what we also do is, is our whiskey in, in the cask. And what that, what's that whiskey like? The, the whiskey was in, uh, we started whiskey very early, 1995, but not as whiskey first. We distilled a beer we have in Austria. Now it's, uh, it's not private. It's, it depends to Heineken now a brewery and they want to have that we distill them beer and we distill them beer and they only want to have I think 1000 bottles and we distilled uh, 1200 liters and they said you can do what you want uh, we, but they don't need it so I said I, I put it in a cask and we wait and the idea was not the whiskey first because first I don't know that this what we do is whiskey and a year later, we make the same, and I uh, took the first barley, molded the first barley. Yes, and this was the reason uh, in 1996 and seven to make our whiskey. And in 2002, it was the first one we, we sell. And the idea was from the first day to make an Austrian whiskey. So we have our barley, we have the Austrian water, and... We have uh, also Austrian wineries with, with perfect casks. So I go to uh, Hans Felig, he's a, and Roland Felig. Sure. Is a, Fellinger, Artinger, yes, that yes. one. Uh, and I meet uh, Alice Kracher. Sure, sure. And I ask him if I, have, if I can have uh, a cask. So I get uh, two casks from Kracher and three from Felig. And this was the start. And the idea was only to do it with, with Austrian uh, casks. So... Uh, 1997, we get from, uh, some casks from Dement. 1999, we get from Brilla, the Sylvia, uh, Sylvia Brilla, the, uh, sister from, uh, Georgie, was also making a, a red sweet wine. 
one time and we get these two casks. Now we get all the casks from uh, what, we can, what we can get from, from Kracher and, and Felix. And the idea is to make it with uh, Chardonnay Trockenbeerauslese and also Welsh Riesling Trockenbeerauslese. This is Austrian sweet wine, it's typical for Burgenland. So these are the sweet wine casks. We have our barley and uh, we have our spring water. And we, we have to do an Austrian whiskey because I think nobody needs that an Austrian guy uh, makes a bourbon. We so a lot of bourbon in the States and also not the Scottish whiskey. So this is our, it's more fruity than other whiskies. It's a little bit more chocolate. It's not smoky or only less smoky. That's the typical, uh, the different to other whiskies. Do you feel that the Austrian water makes a difference in the distilling? Yes, I, I think we, we have, we use this water completely for all our products. And this is a, a spring, it's 15 kilometers far away from us. And they bring us the water every week, two times, completely fresh. And it's so soft. It has only 1.1 German degree. And it's the softest water we have in our region. It's, it comes from the stones, from the granite. And I think that our water make all the products so soft because the water is so soft and the water lives and, uh, is, and, and is soft. So I think it's perfect for all the things we do. And we use every time the same. So I see that you have done a number of different projects over the years. What should I look forward to besides the orange distillate in the next, say, five to ten years? What, what might you be going into? In the moment, we have done a, a lot of different things, but we don't stop anything. In the moment, we, we have to look that we can all these things to do it on the market. Uh, we have some problems uh, because for the slow berry chain, it was sold out in two months. So for the whiskey, as we started uh, now, it gets more, the people want more and more. Uh, we have, we have to less. So now I think we have to look that all our things are, are really available first. And uh, the new ideas have to wait the next two, three years. Um, my, my son is coming in the company the next two, three years. And uh, then we can do now, now uh, new ideas. But all the things we do now, we, we must do it perfect. The, the clients know that if they buy something, it is extremely quality. And we never should forget this. So your son decided to follow in the family business? Yes. Uh, but uh, yes, he decided, not I decided. He decided and... Uh, now he's uh, really on the right way. He's 24 years old. He's studying agricultural and enology in, in Vienna. And he has worked by some wineries and also by a sherry producer. And I think he, he should see a lot, lot of different things. And uh, I think in three, four years, he will come back and then we can work together. Uh, he sh should work more on the market. And uh, for me, my, my best present is in my distillery <laughs> and to be in the orchards. Uh, he is managing the harvest for Pierre Williams since 2009. And that's great. And so we work really good together. And in 2010, we discussed if we want to do it or not. And he decided that 
for him it was not the question because uh, he will do it and yes it's 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 a lot of luck also for for my wife and for me and you decided also to build a new distillery as we built a new distillery three years now it's three two and a half years ago and we decided together we have started an old farmhouse and we have rebuilt this old farmhouse i think 10 times and then i said no it's it's i cannot do this you, and you redid the farmhouse yes. like 10 times trying yes. to get it the way you wanted it yeah. like add new pieces of equipment and yeah all these things new canal system and uh, but it was an old farmhouse and in march 2011 we had a family meeting my wife and uh, my son and i and for me it was clear the first time we stopped completely or we built new our clients know our quality and on the old farmhouse it was not easy to do it longer if you have to do a little bit more quantity so and uh i i asked with uh, i discussed it with Hansi and and julia and the idea was to make a cheap building for five to uh eight years and then we sell our production this was not my way but uh, it was one way and uh, my way was to build a perfect building for the next 20 or 25 years and if my son will do it then we decided uh this way and he said yes uh, he will be a distiller he want to do it and it, this was the reason that we decided i think now it was the only way to do it and we have the third harvest now inside and you can not give me so much money that I will go back. Yeah. What are the differences? What can you do now that you couldn't do before? Uh, first, we have place. First, we have place to work. The second is it's so clean and clear because we have the concrete. We have some uh, things on, on on the floor that it's every time clean. We have a stainless steel kennel system. Uh, we have the perfect electricity there. We have uh, hot water with 90 degrees Celsius every time, every day to every time uh, to clean all the things. And uh, it's, yes, completely new. And also the guys who work with me, they change completely also their ideas. And yes, it's, it's uh, where we produce is like a living room. So the people are happy to be there and uh yes it, it was really the right thing to do it and it's mitten in, in an orchard so you go out of the office and uh, 50 meters later you stand by the apple trees so looking around at the world are there other distillers that you really admire i'm in the moment uh not really uh i know not all distillers but in in austria I, I, I think uh, Alois Gölles is one of the best distillers. And uh, Vittorio Capoville is one of the best in Italy. Uh, fruit distillers. Mm, uh, there are not so a lot. Uh, one German guy is in the Schwarzwald. Uh, one Swiss guy. But uh, I don't uh, know a little bit too less about the cognacs and, and the ammoniacs. But there are really some good, produ uh, some good products, 
but for for fruit distilling is really now it's it's starting a little bit also in the US here and uh, I hope then people do from the first moment only to quality I think quantity is not necessary for uh, is not necessary by this product because you you need the clients and uh, there is not the history here for the ODVs and I think we get an history in all the different countries if we make perfect qualities uh, quantities and cheap products is uh, not necessary for any market in the world uh, in this world we live for a quality world so no one really needs cheap distillates really I yes. mean at least you don't see the demand for them mm -hmm. and you know, you've done so much over really not that long of a period of time. It's really only been 20 years and mm -hmm. you've done numerous projects, which we've talked about, but are there regrets that you have looking back? Are there things that you wish you could have done or done differently? Uh, I think uh, when I can decide it now, what I have done the last year, I think the, the greatest, uh, my, my biggest fault was to start with the blue gen in 2006 and not in 2000. Oh, really? Yes. Uh, I think uh, uh, it was to do the recipe. It was, yes, it, 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 we have done it if we have time and then we wait, we do the next and we have tried 50 different recipes for the gin. But uh, we, the 50 different recipes I would also do today, but not in three years. I would you decide would to do it in like in, six months or something. In six months. So this was one of my uh, great the biggest faults, I think. <clears throat> the other thing, no, I have my life changes completely from nineteen ninety five and to now. And I have, I think, the best job in the world. I, I have met so a lot of guys who are discussing about wine, about good food, about good distillates, and. Uh, Yes, we have really, I have, my life is, is really great. We have a lot of work, really a lot of work, but uh, yes, to meet guys, you can discuss about quality. We every day discuss uh, about quality from the dinner, from the lunch, from the wine, from uh, or beer, from spirits and so on. And uh, it's, it's really great to can do this. But does that imply that really the blue gin is quite popular? that you wish you would have done it a little earlier? I mean, has it found a strong market? Yes, if if I think if we started in 2003 and the three years from three to six, uh, we were really alone. <laughs> and, uh, yes, this was, this was one of the, uh, only for the business. That's because now it. there's more artisanal gins out yes. in the market. That's but uh, I think uh, it helps us because 10 years ago, Nobody discussed about gin. Now you have the discussion because there are a lot of producers. Uh, and if you if you know, I know my product, and I, I, I say you you can decide between a cheap one or a not so good one and a better one, and you can decide to the blue gin. And uh, the customer can see or can buy the better one or the best one or a not so good one, but. Now, in the moment, they drink, I think, two times more gin than 10 years ago. So uh, we have a, a new culture now, and I hope 
that uh, it doesn't end so fast than the vodka story. Uh, but vodka has no taste, so tasted more than the filler tasted more than the vodka. For gin, you have the gin, the taste. And so I, I hope that uh, also the barkeeper and all the, all the commitment uh, do more for, for the gin next time. So. Is that why you didn't get into vodka? Because you don't really like it? Uh, there's no taste. The, that's the problem. We are looking every day for, uh, for a taste. If we go to eat or for a wine, we try to find the different things from a wine. Uh, and uh, also, if I do my spirits, I, I want to find every day the perfect flavor from this food. If you taste vodka and you have 50 vodkas, uh, I think it's very hard to say this vodka is from this company and this vodka is from this company. And um, it's the most uh, vodka uh, is really clean alcohol. So um, I'm not looking for clean alcohol. I'm looking for the best taste. Hans Reisenbauer of Austria. He's a distiller who is every day looking for a taste. Thank you for being here today. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Hans Reisenbauer, Austrian distiller. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L, drinktothatpod.com which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening.